I think content curation is a skill. And with AI, it makes you much more efficient. Polishing it to look good and actually perform is a real skill. Like you have to be good at the platform itself. All right, well, we're back. How's it going? Good. Uh, business is on fire. Twitter changed to X, so I'm shutting down and dissolving. Yeah. We're, the birdhouse is over. We're officially the X house. What's it? Is that what you're going to call it? X house? No, it's, uh, I got, I was just saying, I got DMs like 10 times in the past five days saying, what are you going to do? The X house, the birdhouse, it's over. Um, did you have such pull? I envy that about you a little bit, just a little bit. I, I've been going deep into, into my feelings lately. I said like, damn, I'm feeling envious for some people sometimes. And I'm like, you got such a strong brand. Like, and I'm not even going to add the four little disclaimer, you know, when people are like, Oh, you, you're doing really well for a 20 year old. Like they're like, they're dissing you. You know what I mean? It's like the back in the hand compliment, but it's yeah. like, you have a strong brand period. I really admire yeah. that about you. You're doing really well there. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's where this is actually fun. It's like, I feel like I've branded in public. I feel like no one's done that really branding in public. Um, like for me, what does that, see, what does that act, mean? Like, like um, like, I feel like I really focused on the brand of the birdhouse more than I've focused on my personal brand. Like I want I build it side by side, my, the company and me at the same time, probably at the exact same rate. Um, so I think that's why people keep asking about it. Cause it's like, when they think me, they think that they think this cause probably cause I wear the hat everywhere. <laughs> you know what? I, I named my ages. Did you know the name of my agency when I used to do ghostwriting? Did I tell you? No. no. So it was a uh, fantasma. Like in Spanish with an F, Fantasma. That's what I wanted it to be because it was like the the Latino angle, and I wanted to buy. Um, there's this Spanish uh, news outlet named Fantasma that owns Ad Fantasma on Twitter slash X. We're gonna get deep into that in a bit, but uh, they they wouldn't sell it. They would have fucking sell it. Or maybe I was poor and uh, they they wouldn't sell it to me, right? But that's yeah. what I wanted it to do. Yeah. Weird brand. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it's cool. Um, I'm not as on, I'm not really on, on either extreme. I would say there's, there's some people that are like, this is the dumbest thing ever. It's going to kill Twitter. And then there's other people that are like, this is a genius and it's going to be like this huge thing. I feel I, like, I don't, I don't know much about this. Can you like give people context as to why X Like, what is that? Right. So, well, the main reason, the reason it's X is because Elon Musk has had this infatuation by the letter X. Um, I think he said something about it's, it's something related to the human race, but as you can see, he has Tesla, uh, model X, he's got SpaceX, right? Um, he started XAI, um, and now switching Twitter to X, just flat X is essentially they're rebranding to change the product of Twitter and make it more so in everything, uh, application. But what he actually means by that is they're going to be integrating AI and they're going to be integrating finance. So it's going to become a application that heavily introduces payment processing and AI. Uh, the social media aspect is going to stay the same, but integrating those other two things is going to be huge for the company value-wise on the money side, but it's going to have people using the app more, kind of how I related it to, to WeChat in, in, in Asia. Um, like I was in that Uber in Singapore, or not even an Uber, it's called a Grab. And right on the wall, you could pay with WeChat. So imagine you could pay your Uber with Twitter. Imagine you could pay at a store with Twitter or X. Do you see what I mean there? How how much? So it is. So let's go over like each arm. So it's got a like an Apple Pay arm, 
from the way you're describing it, yes? A hundred percent, yes. Right, so there's the Apple Pay arm. What's the AI arm? So the AI arm, I haven't put too much research into what they're going to do with it. Um, I imagine it's going to integrate into the algorithm and advertising, and I also imagine that they're going to use it for some sort of data to get rid of bots and, and stuff like that. I haven't found out how, I, I don't think they've released how they're going to integrate it into like the user experience. So like for us as creators, how does it relate? Um, I don't think it's really going to help us as creators directly. I think it's more so just going to improve the backend experience, but we'll, we'll see. I don't think it's like, cause right now when you think AI, you think chat GPT. So I feel like it's, is there anything else that's not? Yeah. But that's, I, think, I think it's the wrong way to think. Cause like for me, it's like the only, AI thing I can think of is ChatGPT, but I feel like there's more to be done with it in the background. So I think they're going to go in that direction, but we'll see. Got it. I try to, I try to do two experiments with AI this weekend because I was coming back from Poland to Guatemala and I had to leave in a rush. And by the way, guys, check your dates when you're flying, because I bought my ticket for September instead of July. So I had to change it right there. And that I go to an overnight stay in Frankfurt. I thought it was going to be like two hours. Turns out it was 14 hours. So I sat out at the Frankfurt airport for 14 fucking hours. And during that, I had my, I said, okay, what is one productive thing I can do? And I thought, maybe I can play with this AI thing. So I started asking it to write a little bit of code for me. I, I'm not a good coder, right? I'm not even a coder, but I did study computer science in college. Uh, for like two years. And I realized how easy it made many things. And I wanted to do one thing, one thing specifically with Twitter. So if you're like, want to develop something on Twitter, I think this is a good idea. Marcos, does a whale ever DM you? Just this dude, zero followers, no profile picture, and they're just like a multi-deca millionaire. Has that ever happened to you? I don't know about deca, but definitely millionaire. Yeah, they're like super good, right? Yeah. And they're like hidden or have you ever go to analytics.twitter.com and you find out that people with a bunch of followers already follow you like famous people has that ever happened to you yes who who follows you that's famous before i get into the segue uh i don't know what's the what what are we using for the famous bar i don't know <laughs> it's just someone who's like kind of like it's not a nobody yeah like ty lopez follows me Oh, yeah, that he's famous. He's famous, yeah. period. Like, yeah, and the way you ask that question, yeah, yeah he's famous, yeah. period. Uh, the the director of Suicide Squad follows me, and I didn't know that until I got into the... Yeah, I know, yeah. Jen Cena follows me, but so does, like, the world. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was, and I bought the domain, by the way, because I was so bored, whalefollowers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a tool that scraped your own followers and tells you, by the way, the CEO of this company follows you. This person with this many followers follows you. This guy that's maybe doesn't have that many followers, but somehow you can use, I don't know, and I'm, I'm going to spitball terms here. Maybe you can use AI to find a way in which if there's many people that are very reputable, follow this person, then that tells you that maybe this guy's a hidden whale. So what if you could use that to get your own hit? followers that like the hidden whales in your audience. I thought that'd be cool. And I was starting to code it. And by coded it, I mean, asking chat GPT to code it. And it did get like pretty far. So I thought, wow, this thing is, this thing That's is cool. Goes hard. Yeah. Yeah. You ever thought about that? 
I haven't. I, it's interesting. I've, I think a step further would be if you can find out who follows you or who your highest caliber followers are in terms of follower count and then why they followed you. So what tweets did they follow you from or when did they follow you so that you can track what you tweeted at that date and it can present the tweets that you tweeted when they followed you. I think that would be interesting. Uh, I like it. Because like then you could well, tweet So what, like right now it's Twitter. I, we can talk about my rebrand because I did rebrand, but what's your plan? What are you going to do? Yeah, my brand's, uh, I mean, my plan is to do absolutely nothing. Um, I don't plan on changing the birdhouse, I think. <laughs> I think it can be. So here's my reasoning for number one. Number one is I think the word Twitter is going to be stuck in people's head for years anyway. I think if someone is going to say the same way with meta, right? That was a year ago. If someone says Facebook, you know what they're talking about. And most people are saying Facebook anyways, even if it is meta. I think it's going to be the same with X. I think it's going to be like, oh, are you on Twitter? I mean, X. Like, it's going to be like that for a while. Uh, so I think it's not an immediate problem, I think. Thinking it is a immediate problem is something I would have done uh, when, I, when I was one of those people who like thought they needed to have a cool logo before having clients. But I think it's just not really relevant. And I kind of learned that lesson with the whole threads thing where clients would ask like what's the deal with threads like what's what are we doing about it i'm like nothing <laughs> we're gonna tell zuckerberg to go fuck himself we're just gonna we're do just gonna we have stick to, to the plan what we did what we're doing works so we're not gonna switch until someone i don't i don't feel like i need to be first so uh you know feeling the need to be like changing to the x house like god forbid if anyone if you know anything about elon he's very volatile and he he tends to run polls to make decisions uh, he, he ran a poll to if Donald Trump should be back on Twitter. He ran a poll if we should switch the default color of Twitter back to black instead of white or not back to black, put to black. And it got a resounding uh, dark mode over light mode. What's the what's stopping him from just putting a poll out next month saying, should we change it back to Twitter? And then you changed your whole brand of the X house. And then it's like, oh, we're back to like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just I'm not a reactive person anymore. Real talk, that was kind of harmful when we we're trying to sell Tweet Hunter. So for the people listening, because now we're going hard on Instagram and LinkedIn. So yeah. we had two um, products, which was a tweet scheduler, and there was kind of its little brother uh, for LinkedIn, a LinkedIn post scheduler. Tweet Hunter was making, I may butcher these numbers, but it was kind of close. $125,000 a month. And the other one was making maybe, the LinkedIn clone was maybe at $40,000 a month. When we were selling and when we had our deal, they actually valued the little boy more than the Twitter boy. And the reason why is because it's such an unstable platform. Maybe it's because of the leader. Maybe it's because of the platform itself. But that unstableness, it may attract a lot of attention. But people who want to put money into the thing, they're kind of wary of it. And I did experiment that back then. But to your point, I think that was a good segue that maybe we should take here is that people yes they like the bread house which is your agency but at you also do instagram you don't talk about this but you also do other platforms and i think that the reason you can pull that off and you shouldn't worry about it and i mean i think you made the right choice was because people like marcos like whatever you do whatever direction you go in people are still gonna follow it to a degree because they trust your judgment. You know what? Yeah. Becker's like famous for this. He'll change his mind all the time. He'll do crypto and then it's high risk and then there's all these things. Still, people love him. 
right? Because it's him. He built the personal brand, not the brand itself, but it's him. People love him. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just like the, the, the agency is like, we will do what we need to do to make the client money. Like if everything, if Twitter shuts down tomorrow, we're going to find a way to make our clients money on LinkedIn. You know what I mean? Like we're not just bottlenecked on Twitter, which is what I think people think uh, just because we're called the birdhouse. Like we can go to other, you know, writing words can be anywhere. You can write words anywhere. You know what I mean? Like you can DM people anywhere. You can have sales calls and like business is business. Um, so I think we've definitely evolved and you know, I like the birdhouse name. I mean, there's a skateboard brand called birdhouse and there's nothing to do with skateboards and birds. So I don't think we're going to have that problem. <laughs> Let me ask you something I was wondering about. I was kind of envious again of people who could take breaks. Some people who run a business as in, okay, during winter and fall, I'm going to work really hard, maybe spring as well. But in summer, I'm just going to chill and I'm not going to do anything. And I thought, I can't do that because if I don't post, people forget about it. You're just irrelevant, right? Anybody stops posting in social media sometimes. Yeah, like you lose your brand, right? Unless you're like huge, huge like Ty, for example. He took a break, he came back. Does it ever like get to you? As in, because it gets to me. It's like, ah, fuck, like I can't miss today. I still got to post it. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do this shit. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to show up today. Yeah. I, it's kind of a habit, but I'm like, I don't want to post. Fuck. I don't have Yeah. To. I've taken breaks. Like if you look at the last four weeks, besides this past week, I did pretty much a three to four week break where I just only tweeted from the hip. I didn't schedule anything. Um, and that was an experiment. And I think it went well. I think my, uh, I tweeted more meaningful things just less often. Um, I would say my follower growth took a hit, but I still grew, you know, um, I don't think of it like that. Like, I think the, if you don't tweet one day, your brand dies is made up. I, I don't think that's uh, true. I think you can take a day off. Uh, the algorithm has no fucking idea if you tweet tomorrow or tweet today. The algorithm so. just... You have to think so. All an algorithm is coded to do is to keep people on the platform and to get people eyeballs so that there's more advertising dollars. There's no algorithm that's thinking... How can I reward creators for being consistent? They don't care. All they care about is advertising dollars. That's what social media was created for. So it's kind of naive for creators to think that I'm going to get rewarded for being consistent. If you tweet every day something terrible and I tweet once a week something amazing, I'm still going to get better engagement on my tweets. Do you know? So I think, I think it's largely overblown. I think the truth is that you need to tweet quality every day. If you want it the most success, right? Be consistent and have good quality. That's the best way to do it. But if it was an either or, I don't think taking a day off is going to kill your brand. I thought that, I think that was popularized like last year by like a lot of the writing accounts on Twitter. I don't think there's any, I don't think it's baseless. Let me say, I think because people t tweeted every day and then got followers, they think I got followers because I tweeted every day. But I think it's because you tweeted good stuff every day. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I don't I like, think the I like yeah, I don't think the algorithm's gonna support the fact that you tweet every day. I think it's just like, are you gonna keep people on the platform today? Can I tell you about an idea that I think it's gonna be the next ghostwriting? The next wave that attracts people to it? Can I <laughs> I just made a thread on this, so I'm interested to hear what you said. <laughs> Here you go. Okay, so the other day I was onboarding this client and he said, I'm a ghostwriter and I do three types of ghostwriting. I do Twitter, I do LinkedIn. And I also do blog posts for people who are 
not online or not building. Mm -hmm. And I thought there is a huge opportunity here that you're not taking advantage of, which is, by the way, a really good idea to get insights from people in other industries. It's sometimes very hard to innovate when you only ask people in your own industry or you only consume people, uh, consume content from people in your industry. It's the new, fresh perspectives that bring you something new that you can use. And I experimented that with this too. And I said, why are you doing Twitter, LinkedIn, and SEO? What if you went to all the big creators and you said, bro, you're posting content anyway. You're sending stuff out anyway, every day. But the thing is, your stuff doesn't scale because you're not using SEO. You're not putting all these things in a blog post. You've written 365 emails just last year. Those could be 365 blog posts that you're not using. Tell you what, you do nothing and I will turn all of your content into engaging blog posts for SEO. And eventually I will become your SEO arm and that will become your traffic. You do nothing. And to me, that is a great offer that anybody who does SEO and pitches it to a creator that's actually competent, I think you can make a killing of it and the content is pretty much already written. It just needs polishing. Yeah, I like that. I think it's, um, cause you know, a lot of people's big concern with ghostwriting is that it's not their content or it's not words that they would say. So I think that's a good, it's almost like content curation or content publishing. I don't even know, not publishing, polishing, the content polisher. Yeah, bro, clearly the double C, the content compounding. Yeah, the content compounder. No, compounding content, that's better, that's better. The double C, right? So yeah. you clear the double C agency, there you go. Sissy X, yeah. fucker. Yeah, there you go, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. See, cause bro, how many threads do you write? Like a lot. How many threads have you written for your clients? Those are like in the oblivion. My threads are in the oblivion. They're somewhere on Twitter. If I get banned, they're done, right? So I think this is a huge opportunity for anybody who understands SEO and is willing to put in the work. I think you can make a lot of money from this. And it also has kind of a higher degree of difficulty than ghostwriting personally. Yeah. It's because anybody can write tweets, but few people can write stuff on SEO. And I think that's a, that's a very good opportunity for anybody who wants to do it. Yeah. I had a, I wrote a thread a few days ago, actually did decent. I got like 50, 60 likes. Um, essentially my hypothesis for like a cool, a good side hustle for the, for the next year or so. And I think it's going to be Twitter theme pages. I think, um, the way that it's been done in a niche way, like save your sons, um, cultural critic, knowledge archivist, like some of these huge theme pages that kind of take one topic and they're like the guy for that, but they're, they're anonymous, right? I think those are going to be very popular over the next year with Twitter ad revenue. Um, and I think it has an opportunity because I, in my opinion, I think theme pages grow faster than personal brands on Twitter. I, I really do. Um, I think you kind of look at like, look at like legacy builder, right? I think he was built really fast because he was a theme page and then he switched it to his personal brand. I think a really interesting tactic could be to build a theme page and then switch it to your, if you're a nobody, right? Cause we talk about this. If you're a nobody and you have no accomplishments, it's harder to grow on Twitter. So we always say, like, if you're somebody, go on Twitter. And if you're not, you know, maybe not start on Twitter. If you're a nobody, start a theme page. Do the work up front to learn something about some theme. Like Knowledge Archivist does culture or does uh, history. Culture Critic does uh, culture. 
internet hall of fame does memes who's had like a million followers he got like a 30 grand payout on twitter ad revenue so build a theme page around something that people can get behind i think the motivation pages did great on this but i think there's you have to go further than just like motivation right because that's saturated and then switch it to your personal brand after you hit like 50 to 100k guess what you're now authority the fact that you built that page is your brand i built this page that's your personal brand and i saw this guy a culture crave do it he does a lot of like movie tv music he did it and then he has his personal account that's already almost at 10k because he's the founder of culture crave it's like you founded a media company and you yeah, get we paid. did this too uh, harry dry you know harry dry marketing examples no it's a uh, marketing examples he used to break down copy and i didn't know who ran it then he's like oh by the way it's me it's harry and yeah he got a ton a ton of people talking about it. trunk fan yeah other example he literally started as a personal brand but it's still like he built the media company from his stuff who's the guy that was in the 100 the 100k call that has all of the theme pages on to on instagram uh, that's boldis matthew boldis a perfect example his personal brand exists because he already crushed the ig theme page game so twitter is that's about to start and you're about to get paid to do it you didn't even get paid to do it on instagram you only you had to sell shout outs and and affiliate deals you're about to get paid to do it on twitter same way YouTube automation exists, right? So that's my thought. That's my thesis. And it's like, it's not a high leverage play for someone like us necessarily, but it's a great play if you are you have nothing. So if I was starting from zero today instead of, because I started from zero last summer. If I started from zero today, that's what I would do. I have a story for this. It's a good story with a sad ending. So when I was living with Dakota and then I told them, you know what? I'm going to prove to people that all of you guys are overcomplicated this shit. And I started an account called Best Ads of All Time. The ad is Best Ads Time. It's Don Draper as a profile picture. All I did once or twice a day took me literally five minutes. I would go and look up Porsche ads, Rolls Royce ads, just the best ones. That's and I was to post it and say, which year was it? Bro, Andrew Tate followed that account. It was awesome. Did In five weeks, <laughs> that's the sad ending. So give me a minute. So in five weeks, we got it to 36,000 followers. It was sick. And then here's what happened. I was getting some people telling me like, yo, would you sell it? Would you sell it? I'm like, oh, holy shit. Yeah, I should sell this thing, right? But uh, I logged in with like a weird computer in which I spilled coffee. And then that had an American number. That American number, when I moved to Guatemala, it got expired. So I lost the password and I lost the number. That account is idle. I cannot use it. There are 6,000 followers on my theme page in five weeks down the fucking drain. Can you talk to support? I mean, I can. I I'm can. not sure they're going to reply. I'll buy it from you. <laughs> how much? Let's do a deal here. How much, would you, how much is this theme page worth? Do you think? I think if I were to, if we were to commit to a deal before we tested the audience to make sure the audience still exists. <laughs> Actually, let, let's not, let's not make a deal here, but let's just spitball. Like, what do you yeah, think? Yeah. I think for like, this has 40 K followers. Um, Holy shit. Is it 40? No, I thought it was 36. Dude, it's been getting followers positively. What the yeah. hell? The worst part about this account is that it doesn't have, uh, you made this account before there were views. So you can't even see what the average impressions are. <laughs> so we would have to tweet, see what it is. But like right now, assuming that the following is active, it's a good account. I feel like this is probably worth like 
five to ten grand right now, like I think that's what it's worth. I think as yeah. a owner, you know, like I think I, that's a good price. I mean, I think uh, yeah, I think so. It's like, but dude, I completely messed it up. And you know what? That was what was another thing that I messed up. I didn't do it again, and I think I should have done it again. I think I should have recreated it. So, have you ever done something in business in which it worked so well you stopped doing it? Yes. I was faced with dropshipping last or two years ago and I made like eight grand in three months. I started, I just had started. I made eight grand in three months and I was like, oh, let me go try out Amazon. Let me do all this. And I should have just scaled it to like 30, 40 K a month. Fucking idiot. It happens so often, man. Like we do something that's well, I do. I used to run challenges and webinars. Used to absolutely fucking crush. And then I, I just stopped doing it. Like, I don't know. Why we do this? Like we self sabotage ourselves because we're like, I like I I don't know I don't know like why what why does this happen? It's like we sub self sabotage ourselves. So maybe maybe you're listening right now. Like what worked so well that you stopped doing it, and and why'd you stop? And like this is this is not me condemning you or anything. It's just like I legit don't know why I stopped either. <laughs> so just keep doing it. Like if it's your secret sauce, keep keep you know keep doing it. I I want your I want this account. <laughs> I don't want it, <laughs> dude. It was not hard. You want to know how I, how I grew it? And it was it was so easy. It was one or two ads a day, best ads of all time, right? I think what 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 was good about it was the the idea was big. I like it. It's like it's the best ads of all time, and it was very like direct. Oh, it's the best ads of all time, and uh, that was part of it. And the biggest part of it, it was. I was retweeting it, Dakota was retweeting it, and then Cole was retweeting it. So a oh, fucking course it was gonna grow. <laughs> you know, so that I like that's how we did it. I think it's cool. I think it's a cool account. I just like I have like this weird obsession with theme pages. Like I just think they're cool. You know what I mean? Like I think they're fun. Like you don't have to what, what's a theme page you've seen that you're like, oh I fucking love knowledge archivist. It's so cool. It's like I, I put him in my last thing. He's got 150K and he just like talks about Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Napoleon. He does threads on them, breaks them down. It's so sick. Like that sounds so fun. Like that stuff's cool. And then on the other side, I love like uh, like the meme pages, like Internet Hall of Fame. They're just so funny. <laughs> like they're so funny. All it is is just like dudes, dudes posting their W's. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, posting their W's. Uh, there's another one that's a 90s nostalgia that I love. It's just like always like reminds me of something from the '90s, like a Game Boy. Um, I think mean. I think those are just like so low effort, high impact. Like the like the effort to impact ratio. Like they're so fun when you see them on your timeline, but they're not like I'm trying to change the world. You know what I mean? They're just showing you something funny or something cool. I think the little nuance on this because there is a there is a world in which this makes a ton of money, and there's a world in which it makes no money. I think the nuance in this is that at that point. The skill is not the content, it's the curation of the content. You can't just copy and paste it. Cool. Yeah. I did kind of copy and paste it, right? But I actually went through it. I was like, oh, okay, is this a good ad, right? And when you go through the curation aspect of it, like with marketing examples, you can't just say this copy. Uh, well, you can, right? But a step for, further would be this works because of this. It's this level of awareness and this lead. Like the nuance there is, there's got to be some of your skill embedded in the content that you're repurposed in that theme page. Yeah, I think so. Like the way that I mean, with the views uh, being paid out, I think there's it'll make 
like a good baseline, like a couple grand a month. If you can get like some hundreds of thousands of followers, it'll pay you a couple grand a month. I think if you want to make it into an actual business, you need to start, I think, a Patreon, a YouTube channel that goes with it, um, a blog, something like SEO related. Um, I don't think anything else, like I don't, unless it's like product related, I don't think an e-com store is going to make sense for like these, some of these theme pages, but I think those are the best ways. Like I think the people that do Patreon well, like Ca CoffeeZilla does Patreon really well. He's got, he's making tens of thousands, maybe even over six figures a month on, with Patreon. How much does he make? It, what it, I don't know how much he makes with Patreon, but it's a lot, right? And they get early access to his videos. They get, um, they get to say what he investigates next. They get to join in and learn how he does his investigative and animation process like what did you open your eyes at how much do you think it is 50 100 dude he makes one thousand six hundred dollars a day from <laughs> what's well, on and that's not including his ad revenue right so if you if you do this with twitter right and you have like a, a successful patreon and a successful twitter account and you do brand deals or something like this is a this is a business right this is a six or seven figure business so um i think theme pages can be done right i think you know 99.9 percent .9 of people aren't going to do it right because i think it does require skill i think content curation is a skill it's a good skill uh, and with ai it makes you much more efficient you could probably cut out a few team members by being really good with ai on like how to curate confirmation but i mean information but i think what you said earlier is going to matter like polishing it to look good and actually perform is a real skill. Like you have to be good at the platform itself to do that. Yeah. It teaches you a lot about the platform. This, this is why, dude, it was called best ads of all time, but you know what performed the best? It was always without fail cars. It was Porsche. It was, uh, uh, Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. I, I think kind of the elegance of it really played a role in it. And I posted my favorite ad of all time and it didn't perform well. Uh, you, you know what's my favorite ad of all time? And I know it by memory. It's like a few hundred words. But have you ever read the Omega Speedmaster ad? I was just about to say, if you looked at any of like uh, the watch ads, the old watch ads, but no, I haven't seen that one. Bro, let me tell you that ad. It's when I read it, like that copy was written 50 years ago or whatever. It still can read it on me because it was so big. It was a big idea. And we could talk about big ideas. I think this is a good one, a, a good segue. So the ad goes like this. Why would a man in a $27,000 suit wear a $200 watch? And that's the headline. So it's like, holy shit, right? And then it starts as, you may not expect the watches that the space astronauts took to the Apollo to be found. Now, you would expect those watches to be carefully crafted in a lab in NASA. Yet that's not how it happened. They found their watches in a store. That was the Omega. And whatever the NASA stood it, like put it to test with, like it could take it. And then uh, it, it kind of led into 17 space missions, like a bunch of travels to the moon, and then almost impossibly Russia and the United States together. For any other watch, the shock would simply be too much. Holy shit, right? So that was the, the moon watch and I bought it. And it, was, it was so nice. Like I'm not a watch guy, but that was so big. And it kind of nailed down for me the like the, the big idea, like having one thing in your content, that's the big idea that people can relate to you. Liver King, liver. There's this guy on Twitter, I really like uh, Michael Hoffman. He's all about 
it's not, it's, it's a vendingpreneur. He has the vendingpreneurship, as in like create vending machines, and then that's where you're going to create your source of wealth. Mine is kind of like likes in cash. And I feel like everybody would benefit a lot from figuring out what is the one big idea of my marketing? What is the one thing I want to convey? Is it a watch on the moon? Is it likes in cash? Is it passive income? And that big idea, it transcends your brand. Like when people see it, people will relate it to you. And like, I think that is a good challenge for everyone to have, to find one big idea and look it up. Big ideas in marketing. And find one that resonates to you and you hammer it down because those are the kind of things that are more powerful than any type of content. Because it's just a big idea that you can't ignore. You, you know who does this really well and I, I love? I want to find ways that we can incorporate this into the internet space. Um, and I think Hormozy has made like a good way of doing it. But um, the way Rolex markets or the way that even, not even the way they market, the way that they treat customers is so insane to me. Like if you walk in, you can't buy it, you can't buy it. They'll put your name on a list and they background check you to make sure that you're a good fit for their brand. They background check you and you cannot buy a watch until you have passed that retail you if you walk into a store no nothing in inventory quote unquote nothing available you could try one on we'll take your name down and we'll let you know if something becomes available they want to see if you're a good fit for their brand i think that is insane <laughs> like like it's so exclusive and it's not even like it's funny because it's not even and i'm sure other higher end watches do this but it's not even the top dog in watches but for them to do that it just creates this like i want it more kind of vibe um and you have to like qualify to own one obviously you can get one from a reseller but i think that's interesting how you could do that in the internet as well like you don't accept everyone and i think we talked about this with how like harvard and education businesses uh, but i think the brand itself is known for like if you have it the, the way that they maintain that level of status and i think brands like gucci lost that because anyone can just go buy it I think they kind of lost that where people now you relate Gucci with like poor rich, like you're not actually you don't actually, right. you know what I mean? Like you're more like trying to like, is it kind of like Corvette? Like this is a car, but not really. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, but like don't there's there's someone that like loves American Muscle in here that's like shut up. So um, uh, I won't say yes, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's like uh. With Rolex, like I, I think the way they were able to maintain that and not lose, become the Gucci of watches, and maybe some could argue that they have, is I think it's because of that, that they don't accept everyone. And I think the big idea around Rolex is that it automatically puts you into a new level of status based on price and, and qualification. So I think, um, you know, there's a way to do that with internet brands. And I think it's by just like not, I don't know how to do it, like necessarily. I feel like sometimes you do it, um, I feel like I do it, involuntarily sometimes where like you have to have a certain level of I don't need you <laughs> in your marketing and I think that's what Hormozy absolutely crushes his level of I don't fucking need you is so good that people want to work with him he's, he's like we work with like 10 businesses but we talk to millions like that level of I don't need you is really great and I, I think that's it's so powerful in the internet I think that's huge and the thing I want to highlight there is non-neediness. If you have neediness in your marketing, same as if you have neediness in your dating, you lost. It's over. You're not going to recover from that one. It is that non-neediness. And by the way, like, it's, it doesn't come from money. It comes from 
like not being cool with waiting. I feel like that's a good one. You know, I've met some people off Twitter. I've, I feel I've met people who don't have money, but want it. People who have enough money and they know it and they don't want it anymore. And people who are like extremely wealthy. And the people who have enough money and don't want anymore or are not necessarily chasing anymore, they're by far the coolest. They're the coolest, the strongest brands. Like both love being around those kind of people. And I feel like your brand dies the moment you show neediness. And that is one thing I actually really try to avoid. Yeah, let me tell you a story, a behind-the-scenes story that I wasn't going to share, but I'll share. Um, I was like on a call maybe like last week. So I had a client, I have a new client, right? And we've been talking since January. And so it's been like a seven month, five call flows. Um, and even then on our final call, I sent the contract over. He's like, yeah, I'll send it over and we'll, I'll, I'll talk to you next time. Like we get on a call because after the contract, like it'll give them a link to do every, all the onboarding and stuff like that. And then schedule a call and we'll talk. Um, my girlfriend had asked, are you opposed to getting them like paid and signed on the call like yeah like because i don't i don't need to push them to pay and sign on the call because i'm just like i don't need them first of all but second of all is like why would i push them if you know if i have to push someone that hard to sign and pay then i don't want to work with them anyway like they need they want they should need me and want to work with us right we should be a, this should be a codependent relationship um so i think that non-neediness is great in our sales it's like we could just send them the contract and just we'll just wait like good bro you're telling me you got a some dude on five calls oh yeah dude, you have so much more patience than me i'm like one i'm like that's it i'm done yeah well to be fair like our contract value our lifetime like our, our average ltv is quite high so it's like if this is a partnership i'm going to work with this person for a year plus then you know three or four calls isn't that big of a deal to me i'm like I, i'll help people like build it out if if i see the potential right I don't see the potential. I'm not doing it, but this is like for the top 1% of leads who I'm like, this is a good lead. This person is successful. Their program has a ton of potential and I think they will succeed with the right foundation. So I'll help them build that foundation for free just on calls. So I think that's one thing that's done well for us is like doing that. And we our, our LTV has extended drastically because of that and our retention because we do that for people, but we don't do that for everyone. Right. I do. I still cancel calls if they, out the calendar i'm like no <laughs> right um so yeah. and I, th I think i think if you cancel people and you're actively saying no because most people don't say no they just take anybody but i think it's a good idea to turn that into content hermosin does it i do it a lot like if we kick we kick people out you've seen it and it's like we kick people out because of this reason we don't accept people because of this reason and we don't take you because you have a lambo on your profile picture and we don't take people with lambos and profile pictures sorry so it's that showing, I think it's a good idea. There was a client that said, I cannot work with this be with this person because he does Amazon FBA and he's kind of in a weird country. And he had to decline it. He told us. And I said, well, this is your next tweet. You say, I can only work with this kind of people because these are the only people I can deliver stellar results for. And that is kind of a different shade. It shows a lot of non-neediness and can hurt. No, it's a good marketing tactic. I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot too. I think um, 
I also think it's important, not even from the marketing side, it's like it's important for your product. Like your product takes a severe, especially if you run a product where everyone who consumes the product is in the same spot, like a community. Like uh, it's bad if you accept people that aren't a good fit. Like if you go sign up for a country club, they're not going to accept you if you're like a hobo, right? Because that drastically brings down the experience and the value of everyone else at that country club. Same thing if you It's alignment too. It's your soul aligned. You're not like, some people are like, I would get you fitness coaches, maybe. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get you to this percentage body fat, but they'll fuck up your, like your diet. They just want the before and after picture. You know what I mean? So that, like, you won't stay there. Yeah. For you, you could promise followers, but what they really want is money. Yeah. But you're like upfront. It's like, it's a rapture deal. And I think it's really important to align the incentives and not be like, oh, they're kind of similar. They're a shade different. No, they have to be the same if this thing is going to work. And this is why I used to love these videos, but now I, I disagree with them. The people who would walk into uh, expensive car dealerships and act like uh, like homeless or whatever and be like, oh, they didn't take me serious. And then they expose the fact that they're rich. I'm like, you have to understand if you go to Ferrari looking like a homeless person, they don't want you driving a Ferrari even if you have money, right? Like they don't want you driving their cars because you're going to bring down their brand. So for that, people will go into like the Ferrari dealership looking like all dirty and stuff. I'm like, and then they're like, oh, you should have taken me serious anyway. I'm like, well, no. It's the same way Rolex doesn't want people bringing down their brand. They might think that too. So it's like, it's weird because people think that uh, with the Ferrari things, like they'll walk into the dealership, like, oh, he didn't take me serious, but anyone can be a millionaire. I'm like, well, nobody wants a dirty homeless guy driving Ferraris because that's going to bring down the Ferrari brand. So like, it's it's kind of like a catch twenty two on that on that, and I think that's um, so about like cancel canceling people, not not canceling, but like canceling calls and not taking people in. What is what are a few red flags you have that might be interesting that people are like, huh, they didn't think of that as a red flag. One of my red flags is when they put multiple offers in the bio or in the description i say briefly describe your business offer and pricing and they're like i help SaaS companies agencies and coaches get to this and you know i have this price this price and this price I'm like red flag because they don't really have a target audience and it it comes off to me as you don't really have an offer dialed in you're kind of just selling to anybody and i can't work with that anymore because it's just then I have to figure out your target audience. And it what it does to us is our results look worse because you don't have a target audience figured out. And that, even if you're making a little bit of money, that's bad for us. Um, another one is when people don't have, uh, or when it's too vague, when people just have an offer, like I help businesses scale to seven figures, right? Like when it's too vague, that's another, that's the same as not having a target audience. Like I don't want to have to figure out your target audience because then our time to get you results that we promise is going to be dragged out and it's going to reflect poorly on us. So to see that in the description, is kind of a red flag. Um, if you have that in the description and the rest of the application is spot on, I might still take the call. But if you have that in the description and the rest of the, there's some red flags elsewhere, then I'm going to cancel it. So it just depends. Do you tell people why do you cancel them or you just press X? I say not qualified. And do you, you, you send them a DM? Or uh, I just put the Calendly description, <laughs> the reason for canceling. 
Um, oh my god! I, I I make you put your Twitter profile in there as well, so I check your profile as as well to see like, does anyone I know follow you? What is your bio? I click your website. I go deep. I go deeper than people think when they apply. Uh, so I usually cancel for like, I've never canceled someone that was qualified. Let's put it that way. I like it. One of my red flags is absolutes. When they speak absolutes, it's like, it's going to be really hard. Ego, but that's kind of a, the same one. But you can tell, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if this is weird or whatnot. Like it's weird in my country. I don't know if it's weird in America, but like when people give out too many details on conversations, I just feel like that's not natural to me. So people go with, yeah, we work with this person and we made $570,692 in revenue last month for seven weeks. And by the way, Tim Ferriss was there. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's not I, what I asked you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that personally with, it feels icky, like exposing. You shouldn't really, my grandfather taught me and maybe I'm Hispanic too. So maybe, maybe it is weird. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not weird, but because um, my grandfather and he's, He's born in Puerto, born and raised in Puerto Rico, right? He told me you should never really tell anyone like how much money you have or how much money you directly make. So I've kind of always had that where I, I don't really feel, I would never share my exact client with their exact revenue. <laughs> like it would just be weird to me. So maybe I think it is a little weird to overshare unless it's like a very, unless you already did it in the past and you share the past results and like they're already way beyond that or something. I think that's cool. I don't know. It's like, it's interesting. Like, I think it's, that's a red flag. That's a red flag for sure. Another one is when you, when somebody asks you a question, I'll answer anyone's question, but then they ask another question. It's the second one. That's what I don't like personally. It's like, make your first one good. Don't ask for a second one. Voice notes is another fucking red flag. Fuck her notes. <laughs> This is like serial voice note hating podcast. <laughs> I hate it. Like, seriously, it's horrible. So there, there's that. It's, um, I don't know. I feel like Alex said something that I really like. It's if your only qualification you have for someone to do business with you, it's they have a credit card. That's not enough. Yeah. You got to have something else. There's got to be something else that you actively tell people no, which is why I don't believe a lot of people when they go apply here, it's exclusive three spots left. I'm looking for five more. No, you're not. You're looking for 17 more. You're just not being honest. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like uh, scarcity marketing personally, unless it's real. Like there is, there is real scarcity marketing. Like my friend Don did this where he ran a, uh, a meet and greet, uh, 250 people sold out in Miami. It, there was actually a capacity to that building. Cause otherwise they'd get kicked out. <laughs> uh, he did an in-person course that had 25 or so seats. Cause there's literally 25 chairs, right? Like that's real scarcity marketing, but like with digital products, like, <laughs> like you're putting scarcity on digital products. Like we're alive. Yeah. On a PDF. Yeah. 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 Like <laughs> the PDF, like there's only 12 left. You sure? I can just download them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it just doesn't feel right. Oh, I, I don't do that. All right. Where do you want to take it from here? Um, we had one other thing that was on the list, right? Oh yeah, what is your favorite part of business that feels natural? Like you don't feel forced and maybe you answered it earlier. I know like earlier in the podcast, you said you did a, two AI experience, experiments. Was that fun? Like, did that feel natural? Like you would, you would 
do it as a hobby, like in your free time? Or is there anything in your business where you're like, I just like do it naturally? I enjoy explaining concepts in a simpler way. I love removing stuff from systems, which is why I draw a lot. Like I have it right here. This wasn't planned. Like I have it, if you're in the YouTube now, because we're in Spotify and Apple, by the way, subscribe. Thank you. <laughs> but I like, I'm, I'm actually drawing things out. I have it on my whiteboard too. It's, I like removing stuff. So I'm so weird for this, but like people tell me, it's like, yo, what the fuck? But I like it. If you put tweets on a notion and you embed them on a notion page and they delete the tweet, that will no longer show on your notion page. So I have a VA that I pay regularly to scrape my favorite accounts tweets, screenshot them and put the JPEG file on a notion so that I can then download it, send it to my iPad and read it as an ebook and a PDF. So on my iPad, I got this full PDFs of the accounts I enjoy. One of my favorite pastimes, and this is weird, but I will go over them and I'll have my pen right here. And I'm like, okay, well, they said this tweet, can this be a visual? They said this, can I make this shorter? And I enjoy taking stuff apart and only really making it simple. So those are the kind of things I like. And uh, I, I feel like I just enjoy teaching a lot. Teaching is just comes very natural to me. I like it. And uh, that simplifying of concepts, I feel like that makes my teaching kind of different because there's like two approaches, especially in courses and portals. Uh, people will say, we have this many videos on the portal and it's a lot. And when they have a lot, I feel like that's not a flex. It's we have these little videos and those are all you need. To me, that's a flex. A system is not good when there is nothing else to add, but when there is nothing else to take away. And I enjoy that more. How about you? I have two. Um, I think the first one is I love compound. I love storing and compounding knowledge like in archives. So for example, uh, I have this weird fear that I think every course is going to get deleted off the internet one day. So I save them onto hard drives. So like, Courses that I buy, I'll download the videos as files and then put them in a hard drive as if, like, I need to put them in a box to survive the apocalypse. <laughs> so, like, I love creating knowledge archives because it feels like I'm storing all of the work I'm doing. Uh, so I just love, like, the tweets and clients. Like, I would love to, I haven't done it yet, but, like, I would love to just, like, download the videos and put them on a drive. That way, one day, if, like, everything explodes, they still exist for me and I can go back on it. Like, creating a library of courses. Uh, I have courses from Ty Lopez and from like 2017 that I bought and like all these people just on a hard drive, old knowledge that you can still get nuggets from. And it's like fun to go back on like a, like an actual book library, but for video courses. So that's one. Um, I actually paid a VA to, uh, actually, no, I didn't. I paid my assistant to go back and I have a swipe file of tweets in each of my favorite content pillars. And I have her break down and record the exact amount of words, lines, bookmarks, views, likes, retweets, etc. that each tweet have. So I can now sort and organize them based on how many words or how many lines they are and track the performance based on that. I love that shit. <laughs> Bro, what I told you, yeah, I'm kind of weird. You just said, hold my mic. <laughs> no, 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 hold my beer. Oh, God, look, you, know, oh, it's a you know why? Oh, 
I just, the reason what? I did that is because I know no one else will. And I just like, I want to know the exact word count of what kind of tweet works best so that we can just like over optimize. And like, I just want to stay, I just know it'll keep us ahead of everyone. I know no one has the work ethic or wherewithal to do it. So if they're listening to this, they're going to be like, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to do it. But the fun part about it is it doesn't make sense for most people. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense for us to do it. But like, if I was a beginner, I wouldn't do it. So I think I just did it as like, Mr. Beast did it, so I should do it. <laughs> and it's honestly the best thing I ever did because it's so it's so eye opening. That is intense. Yeah, that is. I'll share it with you on a call. Uh, one of these. What? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We should. You. We should. The people need to see this. Uh, we we need to talk about this here in a few okay, years. So, <laughs> all right. Fair enough. So, what is? I'll tell you one thing. I do. I'm big on this big idea on marketing. This is why I love that watch so much, man. It's like, sometimes I would go because my all my business is digital and I always thought physical businesses are way cooler because you're actually putting stuff out into the world. I would go on e-com stores and I would look at what they're selling and I'll try to come up with a bigger idea. Maybe they're selling certain apparel. Like, how can we make this like, you know, pop more? So an example was like... Uh, I was thinking about this e-com store, right? Like the way the way I live my life is I don't like rocking brands and I like using the most minimalist clothing ever. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was an e-com store that was called Brandless? And the whole big idea is you don't want to rock anyone's brand. You just want to work clothes that look fit, look and fit well. You don't want to rock anyone. You just want to look right. So like, what if there was a Brandless store? The other day, I didn't know this, but did you know that Bone Broth has 80 calories and like 17 grams of protein per serving. I didn't know it had protein in it, but I do now. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it? This is huge news. And I thought this should be the bigger idea of a, a brand I like called Kettle and Fire. Uh, so I thought, wow, like I do that a lot. I go over what would be some big, big ideas. And uh, something else I do is domain names. I would look up on domain name auctions, I look for domain names, and yeah, I, I just I just enjoy those little things, and I feel like those little hobbies, those little interests, that is what makes your business better. Because if I could come up with I don't know fucking bone broth, big ideas, there is a non-zero chance that that will correlate into what I do, which is social media. You know what I mean? I think you're going to be a great venture capitalist one day. I think you enjoy. I think you'll find a lot of joy in deploying capital into big ideas and brands that you can maybe help them in, you know, center on their marketing, but you don't have to do any of the boring work. I think that's going to be fun for you. Like you're going to enjoy having like your toes dipped into these different brands that correlate to your life. Like I could totally see you investing in like a brandless uh, apparel store, a, brom a bone broth company, <laughs> like it's a, a Soviet haircut company. <laughs> I think I think that's gonna be your thing one day. I'm gonna call it in ten years we're gonna look back on this and I was gonna be so right. Uh, I like it, man. Dude, I enjoy that a lot. Do you, uh have you read the Buffett letters? Warren Buffett letters? No. You can see that Warren has an eye for a really good eye for marketing. Like he'll recommend a certain product, but he'd say, by the way, the big idea is not the product, is where it's made. You gotta make the city big, like Hershey's. Right? And he'll give those ideas. That reminds me. Oh, sorry, finish your idea. No, go, 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 go. Two, two things. And the first one is 
or I'll go back to it, but how the hell is Warren Buffett drinking Coca-Cola every day and he's 92 and still still kicking? I want to jump back on that. The second one is the My First Millions podcast with, um, I hate, I, it's so rude, but it's Mr. Beast Manager. I don't know his actual name. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so rude, but it, he's- Jamie, pull it up. Yeah, yeah. He's super interesting and he, he runs a company called Night Media, which I guess that's cool. I know his company name, uh, but he helps Mr. Beast with Feastables and- so it, you have to listen to it. So interesting how they think about Feastables competing with Hershey. And they're like with the chocolate companies, like their really only competitor is Hershey. Like chocolate is dominated by Hershey. Um, and I thought it was interesting how they're building Feastables to basically compete. Oh. Uh, one of them is the obviously the branding. Uh, they have that angle, but they're even thinking about the season out. So chocolate's like a seasonal product, right? What are you doing for Easter? Reese's eggs, right? What are you doing for Valentine's Day with the heart-shaped chocolates? And then what are you doing for Christmas? And what are you doing for with the trees, right? Like, I thought it was interesting how they're tackling the seasonality. Um, but I thought it was cool because Mr. Beast is, he said like one thing where Logan Paul and Mr. Beast both have this, where it's really fun for them and natural for them to promote their product. Whereas like in Mr. Beast videos, it's so natural to plug Feastables like blowing up the TNT with the Beastables attached to it. <laughs> or like Logan Paul, it's so natural with Prime where he just comes out in the WWE ring drinking Prime, right? And I thought it was really, really interesting with like niche creator businesses. And he goes on to expand on Millennial Farmer, who's a cool YouTuber, this guy who's doing like vending machines. And I'm like, man, like niche creator businesses are fucking sick. And it was something, it just reminded me how you mentioned e-com. Like, I think that's such a fun play. Did you see the part where they threw prime drinks at logan and ksi Did and they that? made them do it and then they didn't yeah it. it was planned it would be like tell a story tell a story yeah yeah so, <laughs> I mean, you do it now um yeah so there was a viral clip that came out and it was like oh my oh my goodness the fans of prime quote-unquote haters were throwing bottles at ksi logan and it was put out all the media outlets caught it they said fans hated it they were booing ksi logan throwing prime bottles at them it came out a week later and Logan Paul has really jumped into his business mind the past few months where he's been making TikToks explaining his marketing campaigns, which is so fucking valuable for us. Um, people should really look at that. He, he, they told the audience or the crowd rather that in, you know, in a minute, I want you guys all to throw your empty prime bottles at us and we're going to make a video out of it. It never got out. They somehow kept the secret without it leaking that it was planned and they did it and it got a ton of quote unquote negative publicity but it turns out it was all part of their plan to use that to go viral with prime so genius man so genius yeah and he, and he said uh what was it like if you don't understand the joke maybe you are the joke yeah if you know like that that, that, that that's what he said in the end it's great man I, I, I like this podcast you know why because we went into other areas and hopefully somebody who can listen to this will be able to extrapolate other areas into their business because social media can get very like small this can get it into a little circle yeah i two one note or two notes one i think it's important to do that i think we get stuck in a bubble i think it's really smart to look at the greater internet as a whole when you look for your lessons and then apply them to your niche i think that's important kind of how you look at like omega Speedmaster. how can i apply that to like st cash right that's important you have to do that because like it or not these billion dollar brands are way fucking smarter than you you know what i mean like when I look at like Vayner Media, what he's doing like at a bigger scale, I'm like, he's way smarter than I am. He has way more context than I do when he's supporting like fifty billion dollar brands. Like, trust me, they have more eyeballs, brain power working on the social problem than I do. So I need to respect that and think how can I apply that at my niche. 
Two, I think um, I really, sometimes I get upset. Like I, I think it's really important to do the short form content for us. And I started doing this on my YouTube channel, making shorts out of these because like this podcast is obviously going to be titled something about X, but like that stuff on Feastables and Logan is so valuable. So I think the short form content has like a really important use. <laughs> I think you closed this podcast beautifully and I think we should end like this. We can't stop it. I think this was great. 